0: Today we're talking to Brian, CTO of Big Commerce, about the latest trends in e-commerce and growing into yourself as a leader. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO.
1: Morning, Joel. Brian, how you doing? Doing well. How you doing today? Fantastic. I'm in Tennessee, Nashville area. Nice. It is crisp and cool and blue sky, so I'm super spoiled with the weather today. I can imagine. I'll be uh, in North Carolina in a few weeks, so I'll, I'll be enjoying a little bit of the same. Yeah, the holidays, you got to
0: get that mountain time. Absolutely. Yes. I live in uh, San Francisco, so right in the city here. Oh, beautiful. Um, so I've been here, I've spent probably 15, 16 years of my life in
1: San Francisco. So why did you go out there? Were you, how did you get out there?
0: Yeah, so I would say I have always been a geek my entire life since a very young age. I have been drawn to technology. I went to school. I was, of course, as technologist are, pre-med, because I said, hey, I'm I'm, I'm going to go off and try to become a doctor someday. But I kept getting drawn back to technology. So I did both pre-med and computer science. I then moved to my first company, a little company called Sapient, which is a, a actually a big consultancy in technology, started off in Atlanta, met my then girlfriend, now wife, and uh, we were al- around Atlanta for a little while, and she said, "Hey, I think we should live in San Francisco." And I said, "Sure, let's do it." And so showed up sight unseen back in 1999, and it was wild here as a technology destination. You know, you would be riding the bus, people would be walking around asking folks like, "Hey, are you looking for a job in technology? Are you uh, where are you working?" It was just the, there was electricity out here for technologists, and so I wanted to get aboard that. I wanted to. Be in the place where you know all the most important things were happening in tech at the time, and so landed at a really good time. And uh, yeah, been here for many years ever since. Did you transfer like with that consultancy,
1: or did you get a new
0: job? I literally, I I quit, showed up here, no job. Uh, ended up just kind of interviewing around a little bit, and ran into this little consultancy that was one of the first e-commerce consultancies. That was focused on building Java based e-commerce stores. And so I said, Hey, that sounds interesting. Now they, you know, the other aspect of it that drew me to it was their office had this great music playing all the time. They were all deadheads. Uh, and so you walked in the office and there was great music playing, great group of folks. They said, Hey, you know, I I met them, heard about the work, thought it sounded really interesting. They said, come back at five. We're having a little party in the office. And so came back, met even more uh, folks. And then. Signed up and uh, that was my first job in San Francisco.
1: Oh, nice. And how long did that go on for?
0: That was, gosh, I, I think now maybe four or five years, I think I did that. Um, and the, the cool thing about it was they were ambitious. They built J. Crew. They built, uh, you know, I worked on things for Starbucks. I worked on things for Best Buy, which I later ended up doing a lot more with, but worked with just, just blockbuster retailers that were, really interested in being some of the first companies to make their mark on the web. And really actually, you know, when we were starting to figure out like, how should payment processing work? How should a shopping cart work? We were just building that stuff from scratch. Uh, And so it was kind of, it was fun to be at the formation of what is a lot of modern e-commerce with a lot of really, really great folks who have gone on to to build other great companies and do other great things across uh, the retail sector.
1: Did you ever run into Elon Musk, uh, like at the YMCA or something, when he was sleeping under his desk? And
0: no, never. Did. I ran into a lot of great folks. Like I, I have so many good memories because a big aspect of the Bay Area at the time was it was social. So you would you would go and work, and then you would go to the TechCrunch party. You know the famous TechCrunch parties where everybody in the startup world showed up, and it was it was a little you get starstruck by. Other uh, folks who were trying to build cool tech uh, out here, so ran into all sorts of folks,
1: but um, you know, never never into Elon out here. I'm glad you mentioned TechCrunch because when I was younger and starting out in my career, I'd see these you know websites and news sites, and being a software engineer, I just saw them for their technology. And then I started, I got a company, and then made my first trip to San Francisco and started getting involved in meeting business people, and I realized, oh, they they do dinners, they have events there's a community and culture and it's sort of like it's growing and it's so much more than just their CMS with writers. And, yes. and that really helped me understand, you know, going out to San Francisco and participating in that, like really helped me understand the different dynamics that there are to business.
0: And, uh, you know, I, I think the other thing that I loved about TechCrunch, Mike Errington and uh, Om Malik, uh, if, if you remember Giga Ohm, they were enthusiasts. They love this stuff. Uh, there, there are a million critics out there in the industry, and they were always focused on the new stuff that was happening, the cool stuff that was happening. So they were, they were. I feel like cheering tech on and encouraging it rather than looking for ways to to poke holes into it. Which, uh, which is why
1: I think there was that positivity that uh, hey, I can go take a chance type of attitude out here. I love it. I tell people in hindsight, it makes sense. I do what I do because. My dad was an engineer and my mom was a cheerleader. Yeah. I get really excited about technology. And you have to
0: love technology if you're going to be a technologist. It's a very frustrating field otherwise. I've I've spent nights and weekends and weeks chasing down bugs. I've built so many things that have failed over time. And I don't think if I loved it, if I had no enjoyment of just the uh, raw putting my hands on the keyboard and uh, having a good time building things with other people, this would be a really frustrating industry to be in. And so I loved a lot being around a lot of other people like that who
1: just actually loved building things. And did you spend a lot of your career in e-commerce? Because I know you're at e-commerce now and I know you just you said the first place you worked was Java e-commerce type stuff. Yeah. It, did you spend your whole career there? Most of my career, uh, interestingly,
0: has been in e-commerce. You know, the first set that I was building, that that's where we are building foundation. Like I mentioned, hey, what's the right way to interact with a credit card processor? Um, how do you handle returns? How do you do s- subscriptions, the, the basics? And over time, I looked to build more and more and more complex things. For me in the beginning, because I was just hyper-focused on the pure tech aspects of it, I was focused on scale. I mean, so I went from working with smaller retailers to really large retailers. So Best Buy back when the PlayStation 2 came out was a really, really fun place to be because at the time, solving that kind of volume problem for uh, one of the most coveted products in the holidays, it was fantastic. As a, you know, again, going back to my roots as a geek, it's just an interesting problem to try to solve. Like the traffic must have been crazy. Right? It, it was. And, you know, you can imagine if you announce a product is coming at, you know, 12 p.m. on this date, you've got folks who are absolutely slamming the refresh button uh, to try to get it uh, the moment it happens. So even if you have a thousand shoppers at a time, 10,000 shoppers, 100,000 shoppers, they're each hitting you 10 times as hard as they normally would uh, to try to get a, a really rare product. You got to get those Taylor Swift tickets, bro. <laughs> That's where it's at. <laughs> it, well, it, and that even goes to prove, right? There there are bigger and bigger and more fun scale problems as you go up. I, I can only imagine the inside of uh, Ticketmaster during that sale. That must have been pandemonium. And sometimes you get it right, and you're heroes, and sometimes you don't. And it feels, uh, you know, terrible. It feels bad.
1: Yeah, it surprises me when I saw the whole thing. I'm not like really into the news, but I kind of, you know, get glimpses of it. And when I saw that that whole thing happen, I was like, "How is Ticketmaster and whatever the brands are that were associated with it? How do they not have surge built into their primary use case? I mean, they sell yeah. tickets, and I, I get Taylor Swift is huge, but I mean, they have to have at least several artists that are at fifty to sixty percent right. of that surge, and shouldn't like wouldn't the systems be in place? So I was just kind of curious about that. Do you have any insight in there? You, you always
0: try." to be prepared for, for any of these situations that you can anticipate. I, I will say, you know, I've made mistakes. I've made tons of mistakes over my career. And these systems, they're they're, they're very fluid. You're, you're adding code to them every week. You're changing them every week. Uh, the way users interact with them changes every week. And so there's always that one thing you didn't think of. And it may be a little tiny thing But you try to anticipate that, you try to test for that, and every once in a while, you fall on your face. Which, again, I feel for the folks inside of uh, Ticketmaster because I've been there. I've been in a place where, hey, I I disappointed a merchant or I disappointed a, a team because, hey, it was a silly little mistake. But guess what? We we had a bug or we had a point of scalability we didn't think of. And and. That feels absolutely awful to disappoint uh, folks who either are trying to get something or folks who are trying to sell something. So we spend a lot of time on that now. Um, you know, honestly, every day trying to think of how do we make sure that that's never a worry for the folks that work with us so that they can worry about building their businesses, you know, finding the best merchandise, you know, build, building the biggest, best business that they can. And so you're at Big Commerce today. Yes. How long has that project been around? BigCommerce is, has actually been around for quite a while. It got, got started, I think, about 16 years ago in Sydney, Australia. And BigCommerce was originally a shop producing software, mailing list software, downloadable shopping carts. So so software you used to go on, purchase, and then install on your own
1: system. CPanel man. That's where it was yes. at like the moment i heard that big commerce is coming on the show i was like i instantly flashed back to that old look and see panel of like clicking that as the, as the cart option oh yeah and you know the funny thing is
0: some of that code still lives around from the the way olden days you know it's 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 a system that's evolved a lot since you know downloadable installable software but there are the roots of it that you can still see there from 16 years ago
1: are you like hosted now, like a, like a Shopify type deal, or is it still downloadable? So we're fully SaaS,
0: meaning we host everything, we take care of security, scalability. We are constantly releasing new versions of software behind the scenes, just you know, as part of our continuous integration, continuous deployment. We're we're just evolving the platform every single day, uh, right now. So yes, we're we're fully SaaS. So you know, again, a retailer hopefully just gets to worry about building a business, marketing their business, finding new customers, uh, and doesn't really have to think about, are my servers up, do I have disk space, do I have enough capacity, all that kind of stuff. We we take care of that stuff for
1: them. If they surge from their Turkey Day sales or Black Friday sales, you guys got it covered? We do, that. It, it's one of the most fun times of year. Interesting within
0: our merchant base, so we, we're global. And so we, we've got retailers in over 100 countries around the world. And they each surge at a little bit of different time. And it's one platform for all the the retailers. So you can imagine, we've got capacity, let's call it about five times what we think the expected peak will be. And we can add more. We're in Google Cloud, so we can always add more capacity to the mix in a very, very short period of time if we need to. But their little peaks often just kind of cancel each other out or they, they they become one more smooth curve and so what we don't have to do is expect that every merchant goes to 5x their their normal traffic all at once they kind of have a, a each of them has their own pattern their own marketing and their own schedules so we absorb that all across the platform uh on their behalf and then what's your role specifically there Yep, yeah, So I'm the chief technology officer. So I, I look after our
1: product, our technology, our UX, you know, kind of all things technology at BC. And there's peak seasons throughout the entire year, but this part of the yes. year just has several of them back to back, right? It does. And interestingly, they've changed a lot over the last few
0: years. Everybody has started promoting earlier and earlier and earlier. So we used to say, "Hey, you're, you're going to get into uh, the week of Thanksgiving, and that's game time." And it's still it, it's still the busiest time by far. But we saw traffic start to pick up in October because everybody is shooting a little bit earlier to say, "Hey, let me let me get this you know pre Black Friday deal
1: and in folks inbox." Yeah, I was getting them like at Halloween, like yes. the day after Halloween. I started getting like early Black Friday specials. I, I, I was thinking to myself, "Isn't that?" Like a month, like thirty days away. <laughs> well, and so it's changed the way we think about peak season here because
0: you know we used to we we do a lot. We scale up systems, you know, and out in Google Cloud we say, hey, let's let's add a ton of capacity, and we have a schedule that we work through all that stuff on. We we scale up services. We we do a lot of just kind of care and feeding to make sure we're absolutely ready, and we keep having to move the date you know further back because. Retailers are always creative about how to get the the
1: best share of wallet, and uh, you know, be that email that you open in your inbox. At your size and scale, if you can share the number of people in your org, like generally in your, sure. in your technology org, and then who is around you? Like, obviously, you don't have forty direct reports, right? You right. have like a handful of direct reports, and those in a business as it grows. Tend to be the people overseeing the things that are most yeah. important to the business. So I'm, I'm always kind of curious to see like who is around the CTO at, at your scale. Can you share some of that? Absolutely. So uh, within our organization, we've, we've organized into
0: a couple discrete groups. So I've got, uh, of course, we have a head of product, and he leads both the UX side of the house. And the product uh, management side of the house. And so you can imagine there's a scale team that sits in both those organizations, which sits side to side with any of our engineering teams around the world. We've got a head of software engineering. Software engineering, I'd call the engine of us getting things done on our roadmap and done in the product. This is the largest portion of our organization. Hundreds of engineers, um, you know, pre pandemic was spread across four locations, post pandemic all over the world. And each of these teams is responsible for an aspect of the product. Uh, You can imagine there's a team that spends all their time thinking about the shopping cart, or there's a team that's spending all their time thinking about payments or promotions and so on. So essentially, his organization is broken down into small teams that each take responsibility for some aspect of our platform. There's, of course, an infrastructure team. Mm They're the ones who are making sure, you know, we are reliable, scalable, uh, and operating well in all the locations we have data centers around the world. Cybersecurity is another team, and they're really focused on uh, making sure we are staying ahead of the bad guys and uh, protecting our merchants, protecting our company. They're also doing things like uh, thinking about compliance with PCI and GDPR privacy regulations and so on. And lastly, we have somebody seeing the seat of uh, platform strategy, and they're they're thinking broadly about remixing the platform. Uh, when we run into a new opportunity or we're we're trying to think through a new problem, they think broadly across all these teams, and they say, "Hey, you know, could we be?" thinking about putting together big commerce and another company differently you know our our you know our strengths together could we be thinking about building differently so actually getting into the architecture and saying why don't we crack that open you know we it, it's constraining us right now and so we have one person who who kind of disruptively thinks about how should we be changing the way we're thinking about this platform and how how should we be thinking about you know especially where do we partner out in the industry to create an offering which is stronger than we can on our own.
1: That's smart to have that team.
0: Yeah. You have to evolve or you die, right? Exactly. Well, you really, when you are thinking about the same problem all day long, and you've been thinking about it for years, you get stuck a little bit. You know, you you say, hey, I know exactly what I need to do here. And so sometimes you need somebody to come and look at the problem from the side and say, hey, have you thought about? And so that's been really effective for us to, to actually like disrupt ourselves internally, because if you don't do that, some other company does. And so I'd rather have that, that kind of disruptive force inside that says we could be better, we could be stronger, but you have to think about this problem differently.
1: Now, is that baked into your culture or do you have some sort of process for that?
0: It's a little bit of both. I would say in the olden days. So when we first got started with us, it was not really baked into process. It was just we had some folks who we said, hey, you're really smart, why don't you go think about this problem? Over time, we've realized that's a strength of ours. And so we actually say, hey, when when you are planning out your roadmap for the next month, for the next year, for the next couple of years, you might want to go talk to somebody here. And so yeah, a lot of teams will go seek advice, will say, hey, here's here's what we're doing, or here's how we've thought about the industry, thought about the problems we're trying to solve, and just get some input. And so it's, it's a little consultative right now, but it also can be very explicit where we say we actually have an opportunity, but we don't know how to solve a problem. And so you can work with that team and say, hey, help us understand how we should approach this problem in the industry. And we'll go from there.
1: You could work at like any e-commerce company in the world. Why big commerce?
0: I love the scale of what we do. The big thing for me is I've got a great background working in enterprise retail. So some of the largest retailers in the world, I've gotten to to build systems for them or build systems alongside them. Here, uh, when I met the team and I understood the scope of work, the the huge retailers that uh, had chosen this as the platform, I was impressed. I said, oh, okay, wow, It's, it's not just one big retailer. It's lots of these big retailers have said, there's something good here. And then, you know, the, the big X factor for me beyond that was the people. I had never run into a team as strong as the big commerce team. I spent a lot of time with the technology team and they walked me through, you know, those great whiteboard sessions to say, hey, here, here's, uh, here's how this system works. Here's how it scales. Here's how we manage releases and deployments. And I was just so impressed. I then went across and I talked to the sales team, to the marketing team, to the finance team to just better understand what makes this place tick. And it was absolutely one of the best teams I've ever run into in the industry. And so I thought I could have a really great time building something here, uh, building a culture, building a team, and hopefully building something where folks would look back years
1: from now and say that was the best place I ever worked. Did you have all those conversations prior to joining or did you join as like a consultant and kind of float around? How did that roll out?
0: No, I, I did this all prior to joining. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to do next after uh, my last company had a had a good exit from my last company. Oh, you were a founder? No, I wasn't a founder. I was the CTO of a company, but we, we took it public, oh, wow. eventually sold the company. And then, you know, years later came out. And just took some time to say, I don't know what I want to do next. And so the good news was I had a lot of time to actually make a decision about, well, what should the next chapter of my career look like? And I spent a really good amount of time with the big commerce team because, you know, A, I love e-commerce, but you know, I, I just thought there was something happening here that was really special. So yes, I spent a lot of time prior to joining with especially the key folks that I'd be working with. To try to understand how you know what kind of challenges uh, they were facing, um, what they thought the future would look like, and I, I just thought I'd have a lot of fun doing that with them.
1: That moment in life when you had your exit and all of that—you got your financial freedom—and and that was that the first time you had financial freedom, like in a in a big way, or did you have it like growing up and things like that?
0: You know, I've been relatively lucky over the years. I I, I would say. I, you know, like that first company that I ran into out here, that was sheer luck that I ran into such a great group of individuals building what were some of the first great e-commerce sites on the internet. And I probably chose that more for the fact that they had great music and great beer at their party than I knew exactly what I was doing at the time. I would say more often than not, I made a lot of choices since then based upon people, and they were people I met there or people I met elsewhere. And so I, I've been extraordinarily fortunate to just have a really great set of opportunities through the years that uh, has
1: has let me keep making good choices for myself. Yeah, wasn't it a weird feeling, or at least I'll share for me, you know, people always say the hypothetical question, like, oh, if you could do whatever you want, you know, if I write you a check for this or whatever, yeah. and like, what would you do? And you, you try to answer it and you, you think you have a good idea. But when the moment actually comes Yes, It is like scary. It is confusing. And it's like, whoa, I can actually do what I want to do. And then to figure out what that is for me was like, it was quite the journey. I guess it helped mature me a little bit trying to figure out like where I am in life and who I want to be and and how I want to spend my time.
0: That was the same for me. I, I took, I think it was about six months. It took me to actually reset to where I could even really do something other than just do the same job again, because it's, it's so easy once you finish doing something to jump into something that looks exactly the same. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit, I think, uh, that way. And so that, that's why I, I, I like to take a little time off to clear my head and say, you know, the time is your biggest investment that you make. And so I, I really wanted to be sure that the next thing I did, I would feel great about it you know, years later.
1: And I do. I'm 34, just for, for context. What advice would you give for me? The biggest thing is keep making mistakes. Keep keep taking chances.
0: At every point in my career, I can say over the years, I always was, you know, personally, I was more risk adverse than I think I should have been. And we're resilient, right? We're, we're naturally resilient as humans. And so, I'd stick my neck out there more. I would uh, worry less about a hey, is this the absolute perfect thing for me to to do right now, or is this the right opportunity for me now? Just go go give more things a shot. Go give more things a try, and then I would say too, keep feeling young. I feel like again, as long as you love what you do here, you're going to keep growing. You're going to keep changing. You're going to keep doing new things. And so I I would just say, you know concentrate on learning
1: developing and growing and the right things will happen next I agree and, and as far as my research talking to other people what I you hit on a couple things that I, I've seen come up across successful people and it's that they manage to maintain their curiosity yeah. deep into their career and at the same time they'll make decisions based off of relationships or interest and problem, over a higher salary, yes, and you know because you have success, of course, people making six figures, great, you know, you achieve you know whatever success. But then there's the people who have the financial side and the joy, and they may, and they're yeah. still really happy, and they're still waking up and, and loving what they do. Of course, there's difficult days, uh, you know, it's it's not always Absolutely. pretty, but for the most part, the eighty percent is like they're really enjoying you know growing the people around them and what they're doing. And I, I've never had somebody. Talk to me on the show or off the show and telling me hopping from paycheck to paycheck or or hopping for a higher pay raise is, is how I got to where I want to be right I know a handful of people who who are depressed yeah. <laughs> that do that and I, and I'm like you know i
0: I feel for them same i it, it is extraordinarily easy, especially over the last few years in technology, to just you, you get recruiter inbounds. Every single day. Every one of my engineers, you know, every one of my leaders, you know, myself, there's always an inbound saying you could do this and sure, you could eke out 10% more, 20% more, and you know, not really advance your own cause, not really, you know, kind of go further down the path that is going to make you happy, is going to really make you become what you can. And so, you know, I I am with you in thinking about. Well, what's the strategic move for me? Or what's the thing that's actually going to bring me happiness in this industry or, you know, bring me to a place where I'll be proud of myself if I actually get this done? Uh, And so I think that's a really important lens to use when you look at your career and the
1: choices that you make in your career. For people that are listening to you talk and they're hearing about the culture and, and you know, your enthusiasm for what you do, and they might be interested in, in joining your team or applying to Big Commerce, where would they go to do that? Sure, we have, if you go to bigcommerce.com slash careers, we've got a, a
0: great career website. We also have bigeng.io, which is our engineering blog, and we have a lot of engineers talking about cool things that they're doing here at uh, BigCommerce and scaled things that they're doing culture things that they're doing it's 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 really wide variety of great experiences directly from the mouths of engineers at big commerce that must help with recruiting a lot it does i read it prior to coming to the company and then interestingly what i found is savvy merchants actually read that as well uh, because when they're evaluating us as a platform. They may go see, as an example, an article about how we built a highly scalable data pipeline. And they'll say, okay, this, this company actually looks legit. I can trust them to, uh, that, you know, behind the scenes that are doing the right thing for my business. So, um, I, I, found a lot of times when I'm talking to a merchant that's considering big commerce, they've actually read our engineering blogs, which, when we started down the path, we primarily put it up because we wanted to recruit and we wanted to get great engineers to say, hey, that's a place I want to spend time. Nice. And that's bigeng.io? That's correct. Nice. Do they have a podcast? We do not on the engineering side yet, but that's, that's a great idea. Does Big Commerce have a podcast? We do. If you were to go look at the bigcommerce.com slash blog, You'll see interspersed in there, we've got some podcast episodes talking to some of the, the big and great retailers
1: that we're working with about what's going on in the industry. Oh, we got to give a shout out to the podcast. If people are opening their podcast app right now, what are they going to type in to find it? They would
0: look for Make It Big by Big Commerce, And it's it's a great collection of retailers who are doing great things on the web. It's a great collection of partners and technologists
1: who are thinking about doing things on the web as well. Oh, nice. Nice. So the the main company has a blog and a podcast. The engineering part has a blog. So there's you guys are putting out tons of content for people to come and get to know you.
0: We are. And I, I would say one of the most important things we're doing right now is trying to get more into the developer community. Because we're a platform, we're putty for folks to make great experiences on top of. We're hoping people build really creative things with us. And so one thing that we are trying to do more and more of is get out and actually speak at developer conferences, meet more developers, and uh, actually help them understand how can they use us or how can they use us as a building block to build something great. So yeah, we, we've got traditional marketing, but we also are, are really big on developer marketing as well.
1: Nice. What is the big thing happening in e-commerce? I'm not an e-commerce nerd. I always like to ask, like, you know, you've got you and you've got the Shopify's and your competitors and all of those things. What's the big thing you're all talking about right now?
0: I, I think the, the biggest point of discussion at the moment, especially when you're choosing a platform, is about composability in your platform or composable commerce. And so this is a, a fairly new trend where folks are saying, hey, my brand is different my customers expect different things out of me and so what what they don't want is to just have a out-of-box one-size-fits-all type of experience for their customers they want to think about what are the components i can put together that will create the experience that best represents my brand if you imagine the olden days when uh, did you have the very first iphone oh yeah and you remember there was no app store there were just a, the set of Apple apps there that uh, that made up the iPhone. And you couldn't do anything else with it. It was a great device. But the day that the App Store came out, you could start saying, I want to use Gmail for email. I want to use, you know, not yet at the time, but something like Spotify for music. You could kind of put together everything on your phone in a way that made sense to you. And and retailers are doing the same thing right now, where they're saying, I need a different uh, customer experience because I want my customers to feel different when they're working with my brand. And so we're just seeing folks want to kind of take components of uh, platforms like ours, components of other platforms, and then mesh them together in a cohesive way that really, really represents
1: them well. That's interesting. Somebody just asked me to be on a panel, and I'm going to try to connect these two things real quick. Sure. And they said uh, they want to talk about the future of SaaS, but not like cost basis and things like that. Right. They just want to know like w- what's the big opportunities. And so I looked back at how I've been interacting with SaaS as a whole, and they just define it as like the SaaS products in the industry. And recently, I use a lot of Zapier. Yes. Right. I use a lot of tools to connect things. This connective tissue. And what I found is that about three weeks ago, I made a fairly substantial purchase of a product based on the fact that it had a first-party integration into my CRM, so I wouldn't spend 10 more grand Right in zaps and I, I thought to myself, okay if we're talking about the future, it might not be this massive disruption of this new technology or this new company. it might just be the behavior change and and some of the companies that happen to have more first party integrations will, will just grow bigger. Um, right. I'm a small business right we're 15 people but I definitely think there's businesses that are starting to think about the rising cost of the connective tissues yes. and additional points of failure for like managed service providers if they're managing the service and choosing products why would you choose a product that has to have a, a an integration like Zapier when you could reduce the points of failure and choose a first-party integration. So I, I think that that's going to be... a tra- Do you see that happening at all? Am I out of in left field here? No, I, I think you're
0: right on. We each, especially, you mentioned small business, but every business mm-hmm. owner is trying to just compete, is trying to build something bigger and better out in the market. And so you have to have that freedom to make choices that you think are going to drive the best outcome for your business. And so you can imagine, I'm sure you've got a you know, somewhere in the set of technology you you have, something will do email lists. But you probably have a more advanced email marketing platform that you've chosen because you know, it's going to personalize the message. It's going to give you better analytics. It's going to give you better
1: actually outcome from the audience. Cause they focus on just that. Exactly, You're exactly right. That's that's exactly my setup. We, we have the sequences in our CRM. We don't use them. We use a specialized tool that's like really, really, really good. Yeah. Cause we don't want to look stupid with automation. Right. That's the worst. Absolutely. Well, and, and two years from now you may have a new one of those because uh, there's there's
0: always new tools, there's new technologies out there. And so that's that's exactly composability. And I, I think this is for e-commerce, but just in general is being able to say, I have an easy way to swap things in that are going to make
1: my life, my business, my, my company better. Composability. Are you guys pioneering that term or is that something that's just floating around there right now?
0: No, there's a number of folks, both within e-commerce. Uh, there, there's a great group called the Mock Alliance that's focused on uh, composability and commerce. So there, there's an industry-wide recognition that this is really the future for you know growing businesses. Will be this this constant ability to say, I need to be able to remix my tech.
1: Yeah. So that's the big thing. Do you mind if I name drop you when I do that panel? Love I'll it. Be like composability. No problem all right. at all. No, I, and, and the beauty of it is I
0: think composability, like just, just back to the iPhone, right? It applies across most technology choices that we make is, you know, your, your car may have navigation, but you want to use ways or your, you know, your phone may have a set of defaults, but you want the apps that you want to choose. And so again, like why, why wouldn't your business be the same where you actually get
1: to choose everything which you think is going to make it great? I just found out about three weeks ago that my vehicle has navigation because I just Apple CarPlay yeah. everything. And, yes. and we tried to, my wife and I tried this experiment. We're like, can we go a whole weekend without cell phones? Right. It is very hard. <laughs> yes. It is very, you need them so much. And like, there's a safety aspects where like, all right, we'll keep them off, but like with us or something like that. And we have the kids and everything. And and so that's the last thing you want is to get, I live in a rural area, get getting a bumper <laughs> to bumper and, and you don't have the cell phone. They're like, what are you, <laughs> Like, what's going on with you? I, I missed you. You recall those old
0: analog days of kind of the atlas and you'd, you'd flip through and say, what part of the country am I in? And where do I need to go from here? Oh yeah, um, little guides about where the gas stations were and restaurants were. Those were good times. I, I don't think probably your kids have any concept
1: that that existed though. Absolutely not. They're too busy on their tablets learning like Japanese or something. <laughs> I don't know. But you crushed it, man. We did it. We made a podcast. Yeah, this was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear,